Hello friends and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, aka MDV, and I'm joined today on the show by Carl Eagleman. Carl's a seasoned CrossFit coach and the founder of Whiteboard Daily. With more than 200,000 followers on Instagram and a daily post for more than three years, Carl is one of the most popular and prolific coach creators in the fitness industry. And he's done it all with a handful of markers, a whiteboard, and lots and lots and lots of stick figures. Carl's on a mission to help coaches and athletes learn and experience functional fitness with a few elegant strokes of his marker. He's a special guy, a great artist, and a fantastic coach. So grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Carl Eagleman. Let's go. Welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, aka MDV. I'm sitting down today with somebody who I'm very excited to talk about because this person brings to life art in a way that is really special within the CrossFit space. Uh, I'm a big believer in how we're presenting our whiteboards, our the neatness of our handwriting, how we're drawing, how we're presenting, all that kind of stuff. Carl Eagleman, the founder of Whiteboard Daily. I couldn't be more excited to talk to the man, the myth, the legend, all these stick figure tattoos that I see going up on Instagram. This is the man responsible. Carl, how you doing? Uh, I'm honored to be on your show, man. And it's great <laughs> to sit down and, and talk with you. <clears throat> you already mentioned like a buzzword that's kind of uh, been like subconsciously a big part of Whiteboard Daily. And you said like the penmanship of, of our whiteboards. And it's like, it's kind of funny to think that it would be something so simple, but really, you know, if we're talking about communicating movement and being the best communicators that we want to be um, and like my penmanship has been like a big part of whiteboard daily when you mm. think about it. And I, I always am trying to write as well as I can, because I want to make that message of communication uh, as efficient as possible. And it's so funny that again, that we're talking about this because just prior to me jumping on with you, I, I was getting ready. I was getting some pieces, some works done. And and uh, disclaimer or spoiler alert, I was working on the scoop, which I'll post later on today, the scoop of the Olympic of, of weightlifting of the yeah. clean and the snatch. And no lie, like I probably wrote out the word scoop like seven or eight times because I wanted, I wanted to look good, you know? And, um, and so, you know, this will probably lead to other stuff that we're talking about, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right being able to communicate movement, uh, whether it's written or drawing or verbal or, or demonstrating, you know, we have to use all these tools in our toolbox as coaches to do it as efficiently as possible. So, um, yeah, all that being said, man, it's great to talk to you and, and sit down and, 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 uh, discuss these things. Well, I'm super excited. Um, you know, you're a prolific creator. Uh, I'm sure everybody who's out there, who follows CrossFit or coaches or is in that circle and gets that stuff fed to them on Instagram through their search feed. I'm sure they have seen your art or other people's interpretations of your art. And I actually want to start there because, you know, a lot of people in the CrossFit functional training space, you know, we are writing on whiteboards. We are putting up workouts on whiteboards and, I have always been somebody who's harped on my coaches and, and really taken it to heart myself that I want to write on this board 
neatly and creatively and logically so that the athletes can actually see what the fuck is going on that day and not have to either squint and look at micro machine handwriting or it's just a complete jumbled mess or it looks like I wrote the whiteboard with the marker in my teeth and showing this like lack of care. Just talk to me, talk to me a little bit more about this idea of really keeping things sharp in particular for coaches out there who are stepping up to a whiteboard every day. Yeah. So the, one of the reasons why I started whiteboard daily is because uh, of such a long history with myself, with CrossFit, like, and as you know, everything kind of starts at the whiteboard. That's where you, um, that's where the coach goes over the workout of the day that goes over the warmups, the movements, the nuances that you might be experiencing. It's kind of like the gathering place. And so that was, it, it kind of lent itself to being a great medium to, um, to display information. Um, so I honestly, I just started whiteboard daily with just like one of those little, and you may have seen them like coaches will do this, uh, for their affiliates, um, where you just, you basically cut a whole bunch of shower board, yeah. um, like, well, Mini whiteboard. you know, and so like the, exactly. And so I just had like a square one and I just started writing on it and doing stuff every day and posting it and, you know, it's grown to where it is today, but it comes back to when you're communicating something, you're talking about you know, having it look crisp and clean professional. And that's what I try to do with whiteboard daily, but even more so I try to make things as simple as possible because there's a couple of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Number one is because I want to, I want the information that I put out there to be uh, as useful for as broad of a demographic as possible. And if I'm just catering to like the elites and if I'm only posting cues about, the sexy movements like the muscle ups and the handstand walks and uh, you know, like it, you kind of miss a lot of people who are just like, Hey, listen, I'm <laughs> just even doing a bear crawl is tough for me. Like I want to be able to like make things relevant for as big of, of, of a demographic as possible. And so I also tried to like simplify what people might see as being complicated. Um, the movement sequences, drawing stick figures, doing movement sequences mm -hmm. is, is a, it's a perfect example of that, especially like the snatch. You know, a lot of people feel like there's this magical uh, thing that happens during the snatch from the bar being below the shoulders to being above the shoulders. And so I want to just draw that out and say, look, this is what your body should be doing and will likely be doing when you're doing that. So um, I've talked about, and I forget who mentioned this before, but it was like, you know, uh, stick figures are about as close to a primal primal method of communication as uh, uh, cave drawings yeah. on a cave wall. Like it's it doesn't get any simpler than that. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's been so cool to see how it's evolved. This project, this passion of mine, over the the past few years. Well, looking at your art, it's certainly evident that you you have a masterful command of your handwriting and then drawing very simple figures, but in a really elegant way. Uh, you know, your, your art is beautiful. And I grew up drawing and doing a lot of handwriting and like I was into graffiti for a while and calligraphy. So my handwriting is actually pretty decent as well. It's nowhere near your handwriting, but tell me a little bit about mm -hmm. how you developed that skill. Was it something you always had, or was it something that you worked on over the course of years? Yeah. So like I grew, I grew up in a very, I would say uh, definitely above average uh, artistic household. I mean, mm -hmm. when I say above average, 
we were highly encouraged to to pursue art and there's always crayons and markers and pencils and paper construction paper like my parents especially my mom was always encouraging us my brothers and myself to to draw Mm. and and so instead of like instead of like going to the store to buy a greeting card we were always encouraged to like make our own greeting cards for others you know that sort of thing yeah and um because it's it's more meaningful but also kind of um it, it helps you build that that skill and being able to take a concept that's in your mind and translate it through your hand onto paper um, is a skill that um, I think a lot of people, it, it might go overlooked. My, my middle brother, he's actually an, a designer uh, by trade. He is a, an industrial designer and he went to for school for this. And, um, and so the stuff that he does, I feel is like, it's, it's, a, it's a different type of art I do, I try to capture movement and motion and he does like physical, tangible objects. Um, and so it's, it's, but again, he, he's doing the same thing too, where he's got like this idea of how something should look in his mind, putting it on the paper and just like anything, just like with the handstand pushup or just like with running, the more you do, that you do it, the better that you're going to get. And I've been doing whiteboard daily Every single day I've posted something new for the past almost three years now, over three years. Yeah. And, uh, the more, and so thankfully it's like, I'm, I'm building that as a skill as well. Well, let's rewind a little bit because there's so much stuff that I want to ask you about whiteboard daily and the skill of handwriting and how you refine that craft. But I also want to talk about just generally how you got into CrossFit and coaching. And, you know, I was looking at your bio before this podcast and you started CrossFit super early on in 2007. That's around the time that, that I found it. And that's, that's pretty early because like, you know, you could probably count the number of affiliates within your state on one hand at that point. And um, how did you find it so early? What were you doing? Uh, Yeah, that's, it's kind of funny um, because, and just like you, when this first, when CrossFit kind of first came on the scene for us back then, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is different. And you don't really realize the, I guess, the potential impact, but you you stick with it because you you know that it works and you know that it's fun. And um, I grew up, I mean, I, I, I grew up being an athlete, played basketball in college. Mm-hmm. Um, once I was finished with college Where basketball, school, I just kind of started. No, it's all good. I, I played basketball for Bellarmine University down Louisville, Kentucky. And then once I finished with that, I, I really enjoyed it. But once I finished that, I was like, okay, it's time to move on. I played basketball for, you know, good 18 years of my life or so at that time, 18, well, more than that, 22 years of my life, whatever. And um, I want to try some different things, but I kind of got stuck in that bodybuilding rut of back and buys and chest and tries and legs, day, leg days. And, and then I remember when the movie 300 came out and everyone was talking about oh, yeah. the cast of 300 and how they achieve these physiques. And so that kind of led me to under, to learn about Mark Twight and Jim Jones. Jim Jones yep. And yeah, and then I learned about how Mark Twight was a student of Greg Glassman. And so that led me to, to learn about CrossFit. Yeah. And then, I, and I'm not sure like you, like everyone remembers that first CrossFit workout. For me, it was the 300 workout. 
And the first time I did it, it took me like an hour and a half or something like that. Um, but you, you start to learn about like this idea of intensity and, um, but then you learn about mechanics, uh, consistency, intensity after that, but you start to learn like, Oh, if what I'm doing, is this really functional? Like this time that I'm spending in the weight room or whatever, I want to make sure that I'm able to apply this to real life. So that was the big draw for me for CrossFit. And, um, again, that was around 2007 or so. Uh, in 2008 and 2009, I was out in California and I was actually a PE teacher at a middle school in, um, in Oakland. And I, but I lived like really close to Berkeley, just like in the Berkeley, Oakland border. And I started to, and I was working out at the Berkeley rec center. And, um, I, I noticed this couple in the, in the gym doing butterfly pull-ups. And I was like, and back then it was like, what oh eight oh nine? Not if a someone's lot of people doing pull, do, but butterfly yeah. pull. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like they're probably CrossFitters, and so I go over. I was like, and we started talking, and sure enough, it was Savan Matosian and Haley, and um, oh wow! And so I started talking, started talking to them, and they saw that I was a CrossFitter, so we started working out together, and then he um, we struck a good friendship, and he started to record me doing some. Uh, video record me doing some workouts and they actually got onto the .com, the main site. And that was like, and back then all the videos that he posted of me, it was tall Carl, whatever tall Carl does <laughs> double unders tall Carl does DT tall Carl does some other workouts. Yeah. And, um, and so that really got me into like this CrossFit culture. And uh, I mean, since then, you know, it's, it's always been a part of my life. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, you know, what an what an individual, what a couple to meet there back in two thousand and eight. Yeah, because, you know, Savan obviously has <clears throat> he's made his way into being uh, one, if not the most prolific creators of content within CrossFit. And I remember going back to what you're yeah. talking about with three hundred. I remember those magazine articles showing up, and you see obviously Gerard Butler and all these other guys who just look impossibly jacked and it was very, very, um, good promo material for this style of training for, like you said, Jim Jones, Mark Twight, CrossFit, and that whole story came up. And, um, certainly it was a hot topic of conversation if you were looking in those circles, mm -hmm. but those dot com videos, man, I remember that there, there was this little feed of people who would get the workouts early from CrossFit.com. And I'm sure yeah. Savon had them early as well. Right. And you would do the workouts, yeah. record them and, uh, that was like the ultimate uh, badge of honor at that time. Oh my gosh. One of your workouts posted on .com. I had a couple go up there too, but I wasn't tall Carl. I was just MDV. <laughs> so no, but like along those lines, like that was our primary method of social uh, media for that culture back then was the .com page. I'm sure you would agree with that. Like, right? like that's where... It, yeah, message board. Yeah, everyone and and you go back to like I think you could probably do like a time hop or whatever. You could look look back at those old pages back in like the 07, 08, 09 or whatever and mm. thousands of of comments because yeah. that's where everyone went to post their score. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. I just mean the um this was pre-Instagram obviously pre-Facebook for the most part, you know, I think yeah. Facebook started coming to life around 2005, 2004 was super early, but like not a whole yep. lot of people were yep. on it. The engagement on the CrossFit.com message boards was really where you were going to, to meet people and to talk about 
this thing that we all had in common. Um, mm-hmm. So fast forward a little bit, you meet Savon around 2008. And then what got you into coaching? Well, he asked if I would be interested in uh, pursuing a level one. And I was like, I didn't even know what a level one was at the time. And I was like, whatever it is. Yeah. This, if, if it's more CrossFit, yeah, I'm all about it. And so he got me into uh, get my level one um, at, and it was actually at the ranch in Aromas. And I think it was 09, March of 09. Mm. Thankfully I've written down these dates so we can talk about them. But yeah, March of 09 is when I, I got my, I went to the ranch at Aromas um, and I was in class with uh, sitting next to me. Oh gosh, I cannot remember. Um, gosh, just to be, his name will come to me later on. Mm. Uh, but another OG. Uh, another OG. Oh, I mean, well, tons of OGs at the class, like Jolie Gentry, Freddie Camacho, uh, Adrian Bosman. Um, those were like the instructors, Pat Barber, met Pat there for the first time. Actually, Kalipa showed up there to do a workout and just watching him move was like, a, it was like the Hulk <laughs> like running through, the, is, yeah. running up the hill. Yeah, still is. Um, gosh, I, I, I always remember his name. I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, black guy, uh, he's a master's athlete now. Uh, Neil he, back in the day, he had like the Neil Maddox was sitting next to me in class. Yeah. So he was taking his level one at the same time, too. And I knew that, like, you just look around the, the room, you're like, this is something special is happening mm. right here, right now. And um, it was a, a really cool time. So, but I didn't start coaching until um, another big time in my life. And that's when I was living in, I moved to New Zealand. Okay. Um, and in, in 2010, I visited there and it was just, it's a beautiful, it's like one of the most beautiful places on the, on the world and earth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I sorted out my visa, got a job and moved to New Zealand. And so long story short, they're the only affiliate at that time. I, I was living in a place called Palmerston, North New Zealand. Mm. And the CrossFit affiliate was, was CrossFit Mana still is. Yeah, and now it's cool because you hear. The, I'm not sure if you follow The Rock. Millions of people follow The Rock on this, but he's he talks about mana, and and mana is like this spirit, this um, integrity, this like it's like your soul. It's like who you are, and it, and it makes so much sense that they call themselves CrossFit Mana because you know you you kind of hold yourself to a higher standard mm. at that gym. And so anyway, I started working out there. Can I ask you a question really, before we go on yeah. to Mana? So, uh, please, yeah, of course. You get your level one, two thousand and nine. You you've met Savon and Haley Matosian. You're in yeah. it in California, which is like the fucking melting pot. Everything's going on. What yep. brought you to New Zealand? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I uh, uh, let's see. It was basically just me experiencing New Zealand when I moved, when I, when I visited there, that was enough to draw me to want to move there. And then I, it's one of those life goals where you're like, it's something I've always wanted to do. I was young Mm. and I wanted, it's like, it's like an itch that you have to scratch. And so I started to sort out, started to figure out why and how I could move there. And I had a sports background. Um, I was offered a job at a sports commission there in New Zealand, instead of states, they have regions. And so each region has their own sports commission that exists to promote sport in the area. 
so the job that I was offered was to do communications for gotcha. um, this sports commission. And um, it was just a whirlwind to uh, looking back now. It was amazing. Like you, you look back, you're like, how in the world did this all kind of fall into place? Um, but anyway, I lived there, lived in New Zealand for two years. And then when I moved back to the States, uh, it was really because I had <laughs> basically reconnected with my college sweetheart and we wanted to move forward. And it's kind of hard if I'm in New Zealand, yeah. she's in the States to yeah. have, re- have a relationship. So anyway, moved back. We have been married now for uh, this July will be six years. Um, but since then, you know, I've coached at Derby City CrossFit down Louisville and then uh, most recently Naptown, CrossFit Naptown in uh, downtown Indianapolis. So, um, yeah, I, I forgot we were. No, that's all what good. else we were talking about. But it's all good. So yeah. the you get, head on over to New Zealand, 2010. CrossFit really doesn't I don't want to say exist outside of the United States as much as that point. It does. There are yeah. small little kind of like seedlings of CrossFit around the world, but it was certainly not as prolific of a growth pattern as there was in the United States. When you came back oh. from New Zealand, did you know that you wanted to find a gym and start coaching in a gym? Was that like high on the totem pole for you? Yeah, absolutely. Cause I had re I had, I had experienced this feeling of taking everything that I've learned thus far with regard to a sport or a methodology and realizing that I was on my way towards not there yet, but towards being like a subject matter expert. Like I had enough that I could share with other people to help them. Mm. And, um, and there's this, I've done this post a couple of times on whiteboard daily, but there's thing called the Dunning Kruger effect. And the idea is your confidence and your, um, your confidence in, 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 in subject matter and, your experience. And when you first start off with something and uh, you may, uh, you may also feel this way when you first learned about CrossFit, when you first start off that you're like super confident that you're like, okay, I get it. I know everything. And your, your confidence spikes. But then as time goes on, you start to dip way down. Cause you're like, Whoa, wait a second. I know not. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, over time you start to gain that, that confidence again, because your experience increases. Um, that's what I had experienced where it's like, I, I know, I know, and I want to help people and coaching was like this door that opened up for me. And I like, and I realized uh, that I could take what I've learned to help other people improve their life. Um, and, and that, again, that led me to whiteboard daily because I had, I felt like, and I think I, I 2017 is when I first created the, the, the account. Um, because at that point I was like, man, I feel like I've got all these things in my head, coaching cues, uh, cool workouts, cool motivational saying, whatever. I got this cool stuff that I feel like could be beneficial to other people. And I was like, what's a good medium to do that? Well, I, it's a whiteboard makes sense. And so I just started doing that and it's definitely evolved way past then. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has evolved. I mean, you're well north of 200,000 followers on Instagram. Like I said, your drawings have made their way around the community in a way that is, is very, very uh, unique. People are getting tattoos of your stuff, like I said earlier. <laughs> but I want to ask you, do you remember what was your first 
drawing that you put on a whiteboard and put out there for public consumption? Because I'm sure you have been doing drawings on whiteboards and using your handwriting in your coaching, but what was the first time you're like, I got to snap a picture of this and post it. Yeah. Um, the first, well, the first, uh, first post ever was just a workout that I did in a, in a, in a hotel parking lot. And it was actually in Canada. I was actually in Canada at the time when I did this. And it, it, I think it was called like Ramada or, or Hilton or whatever. It was called the name of the hotel where I was staying. Anyway, that's the very first one. But the very first drawing I did that I was excited to share was a very rudimentary drawing of a kipping pull-up. And it was just a stick figure doing a kipping pull-up as a movement sequence. And I, I posted that. And, I, and at the time my account had kind of started to grow a little bit. And I believe that um, CrossFit gymnastics at the time, because it, it, this was still the time when they had those certifications, they, I believe they reposted it and I completely just lost it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, this is amazing that all the, with, with regard to social media, and I'm sure that you can, agree with this, especially with your podcast, your main goal, all you really want to do is just provide content that's valuable and relevant mm. for other people. You know, that's, that's really all it is because if it's not that, then it's just noise and it's just like, it's just distraction or whatever. And so whenever I'm posting something and that that's been the whole goal the entire time is like, I just want to make stuff that's like relevant, that helps people, understand how to move better and you with this with this podcast you just want to provide content that like people are like oh wait i learned this i picked this up and this makes sense to me and, and it improves my life somehow um so when people start getting tattoos of my drawings or they start to share my drawings or print them off and post them on you know paintings on their wall it's like it's this incredible sense of fulfillment because it's like oh my gosh like, like i'm actually creating relevant content that people can use and find valuable. So it's been an unbelievable ride and uh, very excited about the next, <laughs> next 10, 20 years of it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, I, I think in my own journey, when I was going through this and, and developing my coaching career, and I, you know, told my mom that I was going to give up law school and go and be a coach and do all these things and try to uh, work at Reebok and own a gym, whatever it was. She yeah. thought I was fucking crazy. Sure. Was there anybody in your life who was like, you're going to draw stick figures for a living? Are you, like, are, you, are you nuts? Like, what are you doing here, Carl? Like you have this talent. Was there anybody who looked at you and was like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, no, I, I, the short answer is no. Like no one ever, because they saw the passion and enthusiasm that I had to share with others. Yeah. Um, there, don't get me wrong. Like there are times when I, okay. Uh, for example, my, like my wife has always been extremely supportive. There was, when I first started off though. Um, and when I was also working my full-time job, I was also trying to get content created for to post. And then I was also thinking about the big thing I've always wanted to do a book. And she's like, and, and this was like two years ago when I was talking about doing this. And, and she's like, you do understand, like, that's a big undertaking. It, it was never like a doubt, but it was also like, listen, like, 
you got to get like copywriters and publishers and, and uh, you know, distribution, all this yeah. stuff. And I was like, I, it, I know. Yeah. And, and so to have a real talk has been extremely helpful and it's helped me put on a good perspective of like, Hey, things are going to take time and you have to have patience. Mm. Um, so that being said, it actually is a cool segue because right now I'm currently talking to, I'm working through the contract with a publisher to actually create the whiteboard daily book, which oh, is something that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. It's I'm very excited about it. So people will see more details about that in the future, but that's finally in the mix to create full color hardback book that will have nearly all the content I've created so far. And it'll be just volume one and love we'll uh, more volumes in the future, but man, it's just, um, it's a cool, really yeah. cool feeling. Hell yeah. I mean, that's the culmination of years and years of work and probably hundreds of thousands of sketches that you've put together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, an endless amount of yeah. whiteboard markers, but is it going to be yeah. uh, educational textbook, coffee table book, somewhere in between? What are you thinking? Yeah, well, somewhere in between, actually, because I, I would, it's, it's cool. Like, I think it'd be very useful to have like a spiral bound book that coaches could use to flip to whatever kind of movement that they're teaching that day to have a coaching cue to, that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. But the, what we're going for here is like, um, and it's actually another spoiler alert. It's actually going to be the same publisher uh, that has done Supple Leopard and Squat University, Aaron Horsig, uh, um, Rebuilding Milo, um, Brian McKenzie, Carl Paoli, the same cool. publishers work with all of them for Victory Belt. They are working with me to create this and they do beautiful books that are heavy, substantial, nice quality stuff. So yeah. it's going to be more, I, what I would love to see is a coffee table book that is in every single affiliate across the world that has some cool drawings that helps people move. Um, that would be a goal of mine. I think it's a cool goal. Um, you know, Kelly's book, yeah. I, I have supple leopard and it's in a, a really beautiful, well done. Yeah. feels like a nice product. And uh, I know exactly what you mean. So I'm, I'm happy for you that you're working with those guys and can't wait to see what comes out. Tell me a little bit about how did you continue to refine or practice your drawing because I know a lot of coaches might, might be listening to this and go okay well I get it Carl grew up in a house where his mom really encouraged yeah. him to always be drawing and to uh, create his own cards and uh, listen I didn't do that my, my handwriting is shit what, what do you what do you have for coaches out there who are like I understand that this is a weakness for me how can I work on it yeah perfect so if you're gonna be drawing movement these here's a few things that you need to start off with um and i'm going to give you some drawing tips right now that i don't think i've ever done before um oh, this is nice but, here we go yeah this is this i hope this helps you and if it does please comment in this below <laughs> <laughs> uh number one and this is a main this is a really big thing that i think that a lot of people coaches who try to draw movement they miss this okay you have to have a point of reference and you always and the point of reference is always the ground you always, unless you're doing a hanging movement, like a gymnastics movement, but we'll take, we'll take Olympic lifts, for example, or the deadlift or whatever. You're always going to have the ground and you're always going to have a line of gravity. And usually it's, it's the frontal plane. Okay. So before you even start to draw any kind of stick figure, it's like you have to have the start of your map of where you're drawing. 
Okay. And so draw a line on the ground and then draw a straight line that goes vertical. Okay. That straight line that goes vertical, that's going to be your center of gravity. And that's going to be basically where the stick figure is going to align. Okay. Now you have a starting point and your, and your stick figure isn't just floating out yeah. in space it's, doing it's a deadlift to the ground. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, so, and so now it's like when your athlete is looking at this picture, they're like, Oh, okay. Like, I, I can see where the ground is with it. Like, it makes sense to me. Next, you there's the points of reference. And especially as a coach, what we're looking for is usually the, the feet, the knees, the hips, and the shoulders. Okay. Now, if you have a, a good idea now of the ground and also the center of gravity, for example, like if you're doing a hinge, you know that your shins should be vertical. Okay. There should be a vertical line there and your hips should be back. Your shoulders should be just maybe perhaps slightly in front of your, of your knees or something. Now, so I always draw from the ground up. So I start with my foot and that line of gravity usually dissects the foot pretty much in half. Mm -hmm. There's going to be, you know, some changes here and there, obviously, but we're going for a very uh, general way of drawing something. And generally the line of gravity dissects the foot. Can I ask you a question here sure, before we get too, too deep from the ground up? Yeah. When you're drawing a foot or when you're drawing the shin bone or the thigh bone uh, or femur, are you drawing these to like perfect anatomical proportion or are you just kind of eyeballing it based on like what you're feeling that day or do all of your stick figures somewhat look the same at this point? Um, so that's a really good question. Um, usually, and I've actually, I've kind of, tried to pick up some tips from other animators or, or artists and uh, a, a common rule of thumb is that what they'll do is that if you draw a straight line and you have to half, you know, half and half, and you, that's usually the hip is halfway between the top and the bottom. I will say I, I, I've drawn a lot of human bodies though, and the hips are typically a little bit higher than that. So really, I'm just kind of eyeballing it, but mm. that's a good rule of thumb is to think like, you know, and that includes the head. So head to the top of the hip and then hip to the heel. That's usually half and half right there. Um, when I first start off too, like there's a lot of like, you know, I would draw bends where there shouldn't be bends, like your, your shins and your femur, like there shouldn't be a bend or curve there. It should be a straight line. And so people, when they draw like a hollow body position or a kip or, you know, tight arch position, they got, they got bends where there shouldn't be bends going on. Um, so just like keeping these things in mind as gotcha. you're drawing. So back to like the positioning, mm -hmm. like you as a coach, you know that when you're in the bottom of a squat, like your knees are going to be slightly, they're likely slightly be in front of the end of the foot of your toe. And so when you go to draw that, you know, you have a good point of reference now with where the foot is. Um, I believe it was coach Mike Bergner. Well, I'm, and many other coaches have probably said this before, but they say that the foot tells the story. And it's also very true, not just in Olympic weightlifting, but also in drawing movement. If you use that foot on the ground with the line that bisects the, the half of the foot, um, that's going to kind of set you up for how you draw the rest of your body. Mm. Um, so again, going back to the hinge, we're looking for a vertical shin. So that, that's just a line straight up from the heel. And then, you know, the hips go back. And so you just draw a slight, uh, at an angle going up to the hip. And then, like I said, and I, I, that's another thing too, 
this also, I think, kind of helps communicate movement is many people, when they draw stick figures, it's really, and I, these are how, like, my early drawings, they, you, you kind of want to have, like, distinguishing characteristics between your arms and your legs and, and your back or whatever. So don't feel like you have to draw everything in, a, like, a, a stick straight line. Like, it's okay to have, like, I kind of think of it, you know how your bones have attachment points for tendons and, and whatnot? Like they're not just like a, a, a straight cylinder, right? Like there's some, mm. there are some different deviations in it. And like your spine, obviously there's a, a lumbar curve to oh, your spine, curve, yeah. a slight S curve there. Right. And so like, if you can somehow kind of integrate that into your drawing, that's going to help communicate how the body is moving or how it looks. Um, many people, when they first start off, it's just like line, 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 and it just looks very, uh, uh, industrial or geometric. Right. Um, so I, I kind of like, I, I allow myself to be kind of free when it comes to loose and free when it comes to, to drawing stuff. And I think that it translates well, cause you know, the human body isn't a robot. Yeah, there's some deviations here and there. No, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's something I've noticed in your drawings when you're when I'm looking at some of your stick figures, they're not rigid and mechanical. They almost look like they have personality and I don't want to say imperfection They're but they're yeah. obviously really artfully drawn, but they're not drawn to the level of detail of a biology textbook. But they're also Absolutely. not so far off a biology textbook that you would look at that and go, well, that's not a human figure at all. They, they have personality in particular, how you draw the head. I've noticed that the, yeah. the circle for the head almost makes it like a, uh, a, a human kind of uh, figure within a stick figure. It's, it's very interesting. It's got a cool feel. Yeah. I, it's, it's crazy. You pick up on that stuff because that's stuff that I think about, like rather than drawing, like the head doesn't look like a circle no, it's in not. a stick figure, I guess. And, and it's actually, you have a chin. And here's the thing too, it, to me, it's actually more like a D or it's more like a, um, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a, a, a loose, a fat cone. Um, slightly oblong. Here's the deal. Yeah, it is slightly oblong. But if you can, if you, I, I've, I've started to really make sure that people understand where the chin is, because if you understand where the chin is, then you can understand where the eyes are and where you're looking. And if, if my chin is up, then there's gonna be like obviously a bend in the cervical, the spine. And so these little nuances of just like showing when you draw the head, just kind of like hint towards, hey, the chin's right here and the neck kind of bends right here, that sort of thing. And it only comes from just like coaching or whatever. It just comes from experience. The more that you do something, you start to pick up on these things and you, it only it, it's only valuable learn from it and you integrate it into your future drawings or coaching lessons. That's great advice. Let me, can I ask you yeah. another question on this stuff? Yeah, of course. So let's, let's say that there's a segment of coaches out there who go, I get it, Carl. Okay. I'm going to start practicing my drawings, but I'm going to do these <laughs> all behind. I got to do these behind the scenes, man, because I'm not ready to bring these out yeah. to the whiteboard just yet, but I do have to go write up 21, 15, nine thrusters and pull-ups tomorrow on the whiteboard. And my handwriting, my actual penmanship is trash. What mm -hmm. would you give advice to coaches out there who even just writing on the whiteboard right now is a little bit intimidating? 
How do they practice? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the number one thing that is, is it's so, it sounds so juvenile or elementary, <clears throat> but it's just like just drawing in a straight line. First off, if you, again, and it goes back to like that, that point of reference for like drawing a stick figure, having a ground and a center of gravity. Now, if you have a line, then you're like, okay, are my letters getting larger or smaller all along this line? Obviously, are they going straight? Um, and then, then as I work my way down, do I indent on the numbers? And do I write numbers first? So some stuff doesn't even matter, really. Um, you know, when you're writing up a workout, as long as you communicate, is it thrusters 21 or is it 21 thrusters, whatever. Like, I think when it comes down though, to penmanship with a marker is really paying attention to how someone's going to read it. And also uh, repeatability. Um, I actually, I did some freelance graphic design, um, a long time <laughs> when I first graduated college for my bachelor's just because I, 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 it was a cool way to make money. And, and, um, but I, I kind of got into fonts and understanding fonts and font families. And I look at my handwriting as a font That's and cool. I want, and if I make an F at the beginning of a sentence, I want my F at the end of the sentence to look the same. And it, it provides a nice professional look not just for whiteboard daily, but if I'm writing something on the, on the whiteboard for my class or that sure. sort of thing. Um, yeah. And it's just little things. And I, don't get me wrong. I understand that it's going to be way beyond what other people find important or uh, even uh, the ability to do, but it's, it, it does make a difference in the long run. Oh yeah. I, I think this is hugely important. You know, I, I talk about um, whiteboard presentation and the intro to a class maybe more than most people out there who are talking to coaches, because one, it's the first impression of the athlete. So imagine somebody's first time in the room and they see a whiteboard that's up there and it, you know, you wrote the workout with your, your feet, right? It looks horrible. <laughs> yeah, what are they, what are they right. thinking right away? They're, they're probably thinking like, I don't understand what's going on. And this person just scribbled this crap up on the board. And then number two, when you're doing your intro and, and you're able to really, elegantly and artfully walk through a presentation, man. Like mm -hmm. everybody in the room is automatically more confident in your skills as a coach. Yeah. And like the opposite is true as well. If you, if you fumble through it or they can't read it, or they're asking you questions about how you wrote it, like they probably are questioning what the heck am I doing in this room right now? Exactly. So two of the things that I've always asked coaches to do who have very little skills in handwriting is uh, one, write larger. Just, just focus on writing mm -hmm. a little bit bigger because I, I notice a lot of people like mm -hmm. write super small. And then two is use all caps because capital mm -hmm. letters are yeah. much easier shapes. So I don't know if those things resonate with you, but those have been my two main yeah. pieces of advice for people. Well, it, and um, you say caps, but um, I think you might mean um, uh, print instead of cursive. Well, print uppercase. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Print uppercase. That, that's man. I, and actually it's kind of translated into like the way I write letters now, you know, if I'm writing something to somebody now I do all caps just because that's how I write normally, you know, every, and I feel like, you know, when you write cursive, there's a cool flow to it. Um, but I, I feel like you have to, it's like, it's like listening to somebody with a, an accent. You have to kind of like, 
uh, you have to listen just a little bit harder to understand what they're saying. And so with cursive, the same thing kind of applies, but if you have just, if you're printing in all caps, um, it's an easier way to like directly say the message. Mm. Um, so yeah. And also too, uh, not just like write large, but also like use those, those thick, <laughs> the thick, the thick side of the marker, right. <laughs> you know, like you want to be able to read it as I get older, like a, my eyesight is not as good as what, and I, so I want to be able to read something from across the room and I have to walk over to see how many double enters I'm supposed to do for this next round. <laughs> well, well, you've probably gone through more markers in your career than yeah. just about anybody out there, but do you have a favorite style of marker? First of all, favorite brand. And then do you have a favorite type I, and color? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love this podcast, man, because we're talking about stuff that is this stuff's great. very relevant to me, but I've never really discussed it before, but it's like, <laughs> these are factors that I, I really have contemplated. Um, okay. First off, I love using a whiteboard and a whiteboard marker. Now, that being said, I've had to transition more towards using, and you can see the difference though. Um, I, I've been using my iPad and yeah. Procreate um, because I've been doing a lot more commission work with other coaches or other authors that have asked if I can um, do work for them. But the thing is that I can't always like leave that up on a whiteboard until I get back with their revisions or something like that. So having an iPad, I can save it, come back to it later. But I still, it's a, I still try to preserve the presentation as if it's on a whiteboard like that's really important cool. to me um i even now today like i would still much rather write with uh, a, a whiteboard marker than like my stylus on my ipad because it doesn't i can't i'm still using learning how to use it as a tool um i was so, just going to ask you that that's, you that's a big transition yeah. between going from a, a glass or a plastic whiteboard with a thicker probably chisel tipped expo marker to yep. which is yep. the most common expo marker out there to a style. And that's my favorite. That, that's what I would always use. Yeah. 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 The, so how have you, how, did you have to relearn anything or did you have to like get a, a different type of feel for the stylus? Yeah, I did. I went through a phase and actually you can probably, if you go back and I haven't done this, but if anybody wants to go back and kind of start to see where I started to use the iPad and started to, you can see that there's been a transition period where I'm, and even now today, I'm still trying to like make sure I get it well or, or get it the way I want it to look. Um, but when I first started off, I was like, this doesn't look that great, but some people like it. So we're going to keep on doing it. Um, and uh, so there's definitely been a transition period where I'm still working on that. Mm -hmm. If I, if I could find a stylus, I just use like this Apple, there's an Apple pen, Apple or Apple pencil. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, if they came up with like a stylus that had, instead of the tip, it had um, like the chisel, chisel. Had, like the chisel that you would have on Expo, man, that would just, I think that would actually work really well because that allows you to create like little deviations in your lines. And it's not just like, I don't know, it, it just looks cooler to me rather than just like a stick with a line with Sounds stylus. Sounds like a great idea. It does, right? I, <laughs> now I'm going to do some research and see if they actually make that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, there probably is somebody out there way smarter than me who's already uh, thought about that. But um, the, oh, no. 
the, the marker selection for you, when you're going to pull colors and you're going to write up something mm -hmm. on a, let's say a physical whiteboard, right? Are, what yeah. are your kind of thoughts on which colors to choose, why to choose them and, and any coaches tips out there? Yeah, I love it, dude. Because again, I've never gotten this question, but it's always a factor of whenever I'm drawing something. Um, I always, I very, 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 I want to say always, 99% of the time, the title will be in blue. And that's because the figure will be in black and just black is like the most common color for a whiteboard marker. And I want, I want there to be some kind of like distinction between, um, you know, it just looks aesthetically pleasing when you have two different colors, rather than just everything being all black. Anytime I draw something that is good that you're supposed to be doing a movement that's, that's good, like an arrow, uh, that'll be green. Like green means go. Anytime something is bad, I use the red marker. Um, you know, and sometimes I would even draw like the whole stick figure uh, in red, as if that's not like they're doing what you should not be. Not they are demonstrating what you should not be doing. Right? Yeah. Um, whenever like a stick figure is under duress or they are um, frustrated, I'll put like little little things that go out of their head. Um, what's another thing that I commonly do? I always try, I, was, I always draw like the, the arch of the foot because it's a little deviation in the line that allows me to communicate uh, a bit more of what the anatomy, where, how the anatomy looks. Yeah. Um, uh, I always draw the uh, S curve for the, um, for the spine. Because uh, again, it's, you know, our, our spines are not, a cylinder or a straight line that there is some, some movement to it. Um, when it comes to wording though, too. Oh, I always, I always have my, my figures facing moving. The sequence is always going left to right. And I've seen other moving sequences, uh, illustrations that, that don't always do that. And to me, it doesn't make sense. Like you read left to right and, um, it just makes sense to me to have that, that sequence going yeah. that, in that direction. Yeah. It does. It does um, feel natural. But I do want to encourage like there, you should have some kind of um, standard or some kind of, what's it called? Like um, uh, when you like, if you, you work for a big corporation and they have a logo use like there's certain ways that you do something Brand there's certain guidelines. ways that you present the logo yeah guidelines and so you should have some kind of guidelines personal guidelines whenever you are going to uh, put something up on the whiteboard because those little factors they make a difference for your athlete and you mentioned this earlier like if the message on the whiteboard the workout whatever if it's drawn up there like a second grader and it's hard to read you're right because the athlete starts to like kind of doubt the confidence or the capability of the coach, which then, as you can agree, translates into like self-confidence. You're like, man, if they don't know what they're doing and I'm not sure what I'm doing, then, you know, maybe I'm going to hurt myself or maybe I shouldn't push myself or maybe I, I, that doubt, doubt starts to creep in. So it's all about that professionalism. goes a very, very long way. Oh, for sure. For sure, dude. And this goes, um, this is a deep conversation and, you know, we don't have an endless amount of time today, but, you know, I, I see this a lot in, 
ex- more experienced coaches who, and this is a generalization, but more often than not, when I'm talking to people, experienced coaches sometimes who struggle with handwriting, they'll be like, ah, no, I don't have to worry about that. That's not part of what I do. Yeah, That's just what's on the whiteboard. I get to go out there and actually make the magic happen. But what I would argue is that, no, you have to do everything great. And that's including how you're presenting the movements, how you're writing the workout, how you're showing up, not just how you get to go teach, see, and correct something. Yeah, man, you just nailed it right there because there's a post that I did uh, about, and it was like, it was, it was coaches. You are not just bad with names and you and I can both agree, like the importance of saying a class member's name multiple times throughout a class. Uh, whether it's like when you first see them or then you mention their name again during warm-up and then, hey, the very end of class, maybe like, hey, Sammy, you did a great job today, that sort of thing. The exact same thing applies as well, like you mentioned, to like handwriting and presentation. Like, oh, you're not just bad at handwriting. No, it's like you just don't want to work on it. It's just yeah. like you're not bad with names. You just don't want to – you just don't care. And that's – it's an excuse. <laughs> but the same thing too. It's like like when you show up to coach – are you, are you wearing a tank top that's still sweaty from the workout that you did right before class? Are you sipping on your coffee or scrolling, scrolling through Instagram while you're t- like these un, unmentionable, these things that are, that you and I, again, can agree on are not, they shouldn't even be considered. Yeah. There's you know? this, and it goes back to professionalism. I would agree a hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's funny you brought up the names thing because I've, uh, I've been doing this thing and, you know, my social media following is not large at all, but I've been doing this thing where I put a post-it on my hand and I write something on the post-it. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, yeah. it's, uh, neither here nor there, but I wrote up one about names and, you know, at some point when you say I'm not good with names, you're saying I don't give a shit. And, yep. you know, obviously, listen, I caught heat for that post because a lot of people, not a lot of people, few people out there were like, well, you know, this doesn't take into account people who have PTSD, or it doesn't take into account people who have, Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, certain difficulties with memorization or conditions that they can't memorize things. And fucking obviously, it doesn't take into Mm -hmm. account those people like this post is meant to get coaches inspired, who are seeing the same athletes over and over and over and over again, who don't have mm-hmm. conditions, don't have PTSD, don't, who are just leaning on this excuse that they're not good with names. So they don't remember G- Judy's name who comes in every day for three or four months. And you just keep calling her, yo, what's up? Like that's unacceptable yeah. to me. Unacceptable. Exactly. Exactly. Can I ask you a question about, um, you know, your stuff and, and how it's kind of gotten out there, you know, it's so unique and it's so beautiful, but I, I, I imagine there's also some level of, I don't want to say maybe it is just theft. Are, have you seen people out there taking your stuff and not giving you attribution or taking your concept and like <clears throat> utilizing it in a way where it's not just like, Hey, this is a coach who drew inspiration from mm-hmm. something that I put out there, but this is a person who's now trying to sell my stuff mm. is that happening at all yeah it is happening <clears throat> so a couple of things and as a lawyer you can probably appreciate this i've really <laughs> i don't uh, appreciate anything I, i've actually uh, <laughs> well you can appreciate my efforts in um protecting my brand i've i have recently applied successfully applied for uh trademarks and copyrights on both wbd not mdv that's all yours but wbd <laughs> <laughs> and and the name at 
whiteboard underscore daily uh, are both currently trademarked and will be in the process to be copyrighted um, because this is, this is something that I want to be around. I, this is like a, for me, this is like a legacy. Like, it's not just like a cool, a cool social media thing anymore. Like this is like, this, this is like my brand and this is uh, a business that I want to build. And I want to establish this as a, a, a major platform for coaching education. I, I want this to be something big. And so I'm taking the expensive and necessary precautions to do so um, because I know it's an investment on the future. Now, I'm not sure if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk at all, I do. Um, but he, he's mentioned something about uh, also too, like much of, much of how I've built Whiteboard Daily has been based on what I've learned from him. Um, and like, we can get into that later. But one of the things that he talked about, talks about is like, and I don't want this to sound like not material or concerned money, but it's like, don't worry about the pennies, like be more concerned about the dollars. And so if someone is like taking my stuff to sell it, there's a few different things that are probably going on. Number one is that they are hard up for some money and they're trying to make some, they're trying to find a cheap way to make some money for themselves. And I, I'm like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, are they taking, are they taking customers away from me? I don't know. And I'm not really going to spend too much time worrying about it right mm. now. Um, number two, they're probably not going to be around for very long. Like if, yeah. if they've been doing, if they're going to do this for like, if they've been doing this for like two, three years, okay, that's a major problem that needs to be addressed. <laughs> but it's, if it's just like, if they're, if their social media account isn't going to even exist in a month, then again, like where am I really focusing my efforts <clears throat> to cut that down? Now for the people, the other coaches out there that, um, that might use like reshare, my content that I put out there. I don't like, to me, I don't care at all. Like you can, you can even go as far to say like you even drew this. Like if you feel like you want to like take something that I've drawn and share it with your following or whoever and say that you drew this or you came up with that cue. Hey, if you want to, if you can live with yourself to like <laughs> pass off that, then again, I don't, I really don't care. I, I have built whiteboard daily on always, sharing the resource or sharing my personal so where I picked up a cue, I always am, am very quick to say, Hey, listen, I learned this from so-and-so and because not only does it build credibility on where I'm pulling it from, I always make sure that the sources of where I'm pulling something is like Greg Everett, Catalyst Athletics. I yeah. love the way that he puts out information. He's, and he, he's, he is a content, he is a subject matter expert in this example. And and so it's like, if I'm sharing something I learned from him, that gives me credibility because he is like, he knows way more than I do. And so I'm going to, it's not about me and my own knowledge. It's about like me pulling things as a good coach should from other people to share with other people so yeah. they can learn that sort of thing. So it's, um, and, and that will also be a big part of my book too, is to say, it's not just to feature my art, but it's to feature like where I've learned things. I think Kalipa says this too, like a high tide raises all boats. And I really truly believe that. Like if you help other people, then you're also going to be helping yourself as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great way to think about things. Well, attribution is, a, is certainly in my opinion, the right way to go about things. Um, and, 
you know, I think that there's also a level of validity that it brings to the coach or to you or whoever is saying, Hey, listen, I, I saw this out there and this person uh, quoted it or drew it. And I think that it's really great. And I, I'd like you guys to consider this, you know, I think that that, that really adds to credibility um, when you're a coach mm-hmm. out there and, and for sure, you know, like everybody, as a coach, you're beg borrowing and stealing from other people and putting together these skills that you found over the years. And you're not going to remember everything that you saw and now is a cue for you or uh, a rule or whatever. But, you know, if you're going out there and you see a whiteboard daily drawing and you're going to bring it to life or show your athletes, you should probably give some credit where credit is due, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I agree. Do you have a we're coming to the end here, but I want to ask you a couple of quick ones. Do you have a favorite sure. drawing all time? Do you like when you close your eyes and you think about whiteboard daily, what's the image that comes to mind for you? Yeah, that snatch sequence that I yeah. drew was that was a big that was a big milestone for whiteboard daily. It's so funny because it was just there's nothing special about it other than I don't think that people I think I think it was relevant for people because it broke down, it really simplified a complex movement and it really epitomizes what whiteboard daily is, is trying to simplify movement for people to make it understandable so they can, they can do it better. Um, when I, and I actually, that initial one that I drew, I was actually, it was for my other, my previous job. And I was actually in a hotel room <laughs> in um, Philadelphia. And I remember I used to travel with a whiteboard in my suitcase because I used to travel a lot for my job. And so whenever I was in a hotel room, I was always drawing, 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 creating content. And um, <laughs> that was before the days of iPad, not for the days of, for the days that I used to use iPad. Um, but yeah, then that's the one that um, that would probably be anytime I do like a new type of pair apparel or product, I'll probably be, that'll definitely be printed on there. There yeah, somehow. That one's definitely made the rounds. It's a beautiful drawing. And like I, I said, you said, excuse me, I agree with you. It took something that can be uh, complex on the surface and it's broken down very simply and beautifully. The first time you ever saw somebody get a whiteboard daily tattoo, what was your reaction to that? What was the feeling? Uh, that, again, I was working a full-time job. Whiteboard daily was still just pretty, was smaller. And I remember like seeing that when I was walking to work and I was like, man, like this is whiteboard daily is actually, it's, it's like a good thing that's helping people. Like it's going to be much bigger than what it is right now. And it was a young lady in China who got the tattoo that was uh, when the arms bend, the power ends the, that I learned from coach Bergner. And it was, it wasn't just the phrase, but it was also the illustration as well as both on her shoulder. And I thought to myself, goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier about creating relevance, creating content that's relevant for people. And I was like, there's nothing more relevant, I think, than creating something that somebody's going to tattoo on themselves. Um, so I, it was, and that feeling never changes. Uh, I've, it's gotten to the point now where I've gotten like a little highlight reel on Instagram of, of whiteboard daily Inc. And so it's like, anytime somebody shares something, that they've tattooed on themselves. That's an illustration that I've done. It's this incredible sense of humbleness and, but also gratefulness and just, it's a massive compliment. And so I'm always just beside myself whenever I see that. I'm like, it's just amazing. So. Yeah. 
I mean, it's really powerful that somebody, people out there yeah. uh, are so drawn to what you're doing that they want to have it tattooed on themselves. I think that speaks volumes about the the level of art and the level of, I want to say, uh, what were we saying before? The level of just connection that you're creating through mm. your, your drawings. They're relevant and they're cool. And uh, I'm really honored to have talked to you today. I think that this was a great conversation. Um, I'd love to have you back on to dive into some more stuff, specifically more coaching specific stuff and talk through all that. Yeah. Um, but Carl, for my listeners out there, where can they find out more about you and Whiteboard Daily? Yeah, um, obviously, Whiteboard Daily on Instagram. That's uh, the main platform. I, uh, if they want to email me, it's just wd.tips. I thought tips was a cool uh, URL to acquire. Um, and um, I, re- I get back to everybody. Uh, it really having this platform really means a lot to me. So I want to make sure that people, it, it might, sometimes it might take me a while to get back to you, but I always make sure to get back to people and uh, cause I'm thankful for the support they have within the community. So that's, that's really just it. Yep. I think two, we got a little bit methods. of the uh, robot voice Wi-Fi interruption during when you said that email. So oh. you just restate the email really quickly. Where was it at? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Carl, K-A-R-L, at WBD.tips, T-I-P-S. Very, very, very cool. Well, Carl, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy man. I know you got stuff to do, stick figures to draw, and I hope you have a great rest (laughs) of the day. It's been an honor. Thank you very much. See ya.